And we're back. Merry so, Christmas. Let's talk about God. Merry Christmas. Happy December. Happy winter time. Happy cold. I'm not going to lie. I love when it's cold now. I, I do too. I The summer's okay. I love spring and fall. I don't like that bitter cold. You know, you go outside, yeah, yeah. it just stings your face. But man, when it's like 44 degrees oh, or 54 great. and you got a sweatshirt on and it's the most comfortable clothing possible. It just feels good. You just breathe in that sharp air. You can just like feel it. Yeah, it's just clean and crisp yeah. and and uh, yeah, I like it. I like Christmas. Do you like Christmas? Oh, Christmas is awesome. It's you the had, best time had, of the year. You had great Christmases though. Oh, always growing up. Always enjoyable Christmases. See, for all you listeners, Evan is my son, and and uh, he and and his brother both they were they just really didn't ask for a lot. Through the years, we didn't buy them a lot of toys. I mean, we would, but they just didn't ask a lot. So when Christmas came around, that was kind of yeah, we went all out. Load. You got the mother load yeah. every year, so and that kind of held you, I guess, for the year. Yeah, but. I mean, when you get like a video game system, or you get enough toys or costumes, you can make it to the next year. You can. And you always <laughs> have, you know, you, you always have birthdays, so you get that kind of period of. Hey, I got something new there, and then you move on. There you go. That's exactly right. Kind of nice. So Christmas is coming up. Yeah. Make sure you get your Christmas shopping done, but don't get stressed. No need to get stressed around Christmas time. No. Hope no. you have your tree up already. If you don't, what have you been doing? Because, see, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It is. It yeah. is. And our listeners know that um, we we pre-record. We mm-hmm. record a month out. So we are in... November. That's right. Very it's beginning. actually November the 5th. Yep. And as we like to say, it's kind of cool because by the time you all are listening to us, things that are in the air for us has already transpired and you already know the answer. You may or may not know who the president is. Exactly. And that's the point is that <laughs> the we reality are, is you may not know still. You may not. Maybe <laughs> maybe you do know, but right now we don't. It's Thursday, November 5th, and they're tallying the votes in Nevada. Nevada's and, probably still counting. <laughs> yeah, they're still counting. They are. But and, I'm saying in, in your time, they're probably still counting. They said they were going to be done by tomorrow morning, oh, I think, the bulk man. of them, and then Arizona. And it's just, so we don't know if. Donald Trump is going to be our president, or Joe Biden. We, Who knows? We just and, and maybe Jesus will come between now and then, and then this podcast mm-hmm. will never get sad. Yeah, it'll never even go out. Yeah, so it matter. So it's who knows? It, it, but who knows? So anyway, but we're we, we're here. We're not going to talk about a president. We want to talk about a king. Mm. Glory. Oof, let's go. That was that was good right that there. It's my turn to segue. Mm, that's right. Yeah, and I can predict that this is going to be a good episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. I stole your thunder. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I stole your thunder. Now you know how it feels yeah. to sit on the other side when you do that to me. But I'm impressed. And tell them why I can predict he this can is going to be. He can predict who the king is going to be and he predict who the, that this is going to be a good episode because we were talking about prophecies about Christmas. Too bad Old. I couldn't predict who the president was going to be. We can make a lot of money. We can make a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. But we are talking about um, Old Testament prophecies regarding Christmas. Because as you know, it's Christmas time. We're celebrating the, the advent, the arrival of Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. Um, this is just huge, huge, huge for Christmas. Christmas is not about Santa and toys. It's ultimately about Jesus. And, uh, and so we want to break down the prophecies about Christ. Because the reality is, is that Christ didn't just show up out of nowhere, but he was prophesied about, foretold about for many years, many generations, throughout many different prophets, saying that a Savior, a Messiah would come, and he would come to save us from our sins. And why these are so important, they're, they're, first of all, they're interesting. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they're familiar. Once we start talking about them, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I think I've heard those. Mm-hmm. If you've been in church, you'll say, I've heard those. But third, and we're not going to get into the statistics today, but there there are people who have done the the statistical odds mm-hmm. of these of one man actually fulfilling these, and they're astronomical. The yeah. numbers are just un, you know. And we're not even going through all Old Testament no. prophecies. We're focusing in on primarily the virgin birth, right. not just. Jesus fulfills way more prophecies than just that. Right. But the fact that you've yeah. got the Son of God coming and fulfilling these prophecies mm-hmm. that were made hundreds of years before his arrival is, I mean, the chances of that mm-hmm. just, you know, because we don't want to say, okay, we're going to talk about these prophecies. And our assumption always every episode is that we believe the Bible mm-hmm. and the Bible is true. And so everything we're pulling, of course, is out of the Bible, which we believe is God's word. So we're going to let's talk about God. Then we find our, our data, yeah. our end source is God's word, his revelation to us. And so the fact that that prophecies like this can be can be made, and then there's only one guy yeah. that fulfilled them, and it's Jesus. That's right. So the odds of that happening validate, not that God needs validation, but it is a way for us to look at it mm-hmm. is to say, he's got to be it. Yeah. He's got to be the one because nobody else could do this. Nobody else did it, mm-hmm. and it, it fits him. So I, I think that's an important way to maybe start the episode today. And even them, as we look at them, especially in their Old Testament context and really even how Matthew and Luke interpret them, we get deep theological points from these prophecies. We get revelations of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So we're not just even getting that assurance. We're finding out who is Jesus and what did he come to do? Why did God become a man? And we learn that through these prophecies. So we're not going to just talk about the what today, but we're actually going to find some really powerful Mm -hmm. whys. That's right. The W-H-Y, whys. And they're... and I think it could really speak to all of us. It's going to be really fascinating, especially this time of year. It's, it should be really meaningful. Exactly. So where are we going to start? Well, we've already talked about it, but just to keep consistency, give me a 30-second definition, just just for consistency's sake. Oh, wow. Of the prophecies of Jesus? Of just what is Old Testament prophecies about Christmas. So, uh, wow. Okay. It's it's God... Um, God... Showing us in advance um, the arrival of his son. It's perfect. In flesh. That's great. That's, that? what was, that's what I was looking for. I just felt like we couldn't abandon the 30 second definition thing. No, because that's kind of our modus We've operandi. Done We've done it too much. Yeah. So, 
All right, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So the way that we've structured today's episode is that we're going to primarily look, primarily look at two synoptic gospels. The gospel of Matthew, we're going to be spending almost the whole episode because Matthew has a lot of prophecy fulfillment and, and, and prophecies and different things like that. Matthew's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. And then we're going to look at Luke because Matthew and Luke both contain the birth narratives. They both contain fulfillment of prophecies. And so we're going to kind of break down those prophecies that Matthew and Luke say, hey, look, Jesus fulfilled these. So, so what, what's a synoptic? If so, somebody's out there going, sorry, he, what did he say? So synoptic a, so, <laughs> gospels? Is that... Is that a fifth gospel? Uh, no. So synoptic gospels, there's only three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are three gospels that um, take a general pattern of Jesus's life. Similar. It's very similar. They tell a lot of the same stories. They kind of have the same flow, whereas John is kind of out there on his own, and he's telling his own stories, making his own theological points, where Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually uh, kind of coincide together. They even believe maybe they used a similar source. We don't have to get into that, but that's what we're looking at. From a preacher standpoint, if I'm preaching one story from Matthew, the chances are high that I can also find it in Mark and Luke, Mm -hmm. and and I'll read them too because Mm -hmm. they give different details. It's the same story, but Luke will tell different details. Mark will tell different details. Mm-hmm. So as I'm studying for a message, a lot of times I'll read all three of those. Yeah. Where with John, you might find that story maybe very few that are in Matthew, Mark, mm-hmm. and Luke. So it's kind of self-contained. That's so right. anyway, so Mark, what you're telling me then, our audience, is that Mark, Matthew, and Luke are obviously dealing with this same story. That's right. Because John doesn't even deal. And Mark doesn't either. Mark just starts off, Jesus is an adult. Right. Jesus, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son and, of God. and John do, kind of does the same thing. Yeah, John's, uh, John's. I don't want to say birth narrative, but John's uh, narrative about Jesus before his incarnation goes way back to eternity, that in the beginning was the Word, and the yeah. Word was with God and was God, yeah. whereas where we pick up with Matthew and Luke, we actually get the birth narrative. Okay, so here we Sorry, go, we're Matthew. Gonna, that's fun, though. That, we're getting in the weeds. All right, so let's begin in Matthew. So let's literally begin with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, That is extremely, extremely important. Why? Because there are prophecies tied both to Abraham and to David that prophesy about Jesus. And so we need to actually break those down because what Matthew is trying to reveal to us, and he actually gives the genealogy, we won't read all that out, is that Jesus has come down from the line of both Abraham and David and that that has theological significance. So let's start with Abraham. Um, God promised Abraham multiple times that his offspring both would be blessed and would bless the nations. So we could just look at Genesis 22, 18. There's a lot before this. um, Really highlights this. It says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you've got to remember, we end with like, we've got so much sin, we've got the flood, we've got the Tower of Babel, and then bam, God shows up to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless your offspring. 
So it's clear God's salvation, God's plan to fix this sin problem has something to do with Abraham. So when God says, Abraham, there's going to be a seed coming from you, and he's going to bless the nations, what he's saying is somebody from your line is going to save the world. Is this where Paul in one of the Gospels said when he said seed, he didn't say seeds? That's right, in Galatians. He said said seed, Mm -hmm. and Paul actually points this out, so it doesn't seem like we're stretching here to make Mm -hmm. something happen. Paul actually, who had divine revelation, Mm -hmm. said that when he said, in your seed— Shall all the nations be blessed? Mm-hmm. He wasn't talking about just his lineage, That's right? But it, his ancestor, what, or not his lineage, but but that it would be one seed. That's right. And Paul translated that to be Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're now we're connecting the dots. So now we've got like the 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 first guy, the first Jewish man, Abraham, promised to him salvation is coming from you. Matthew saying this is the guy. But then we move on to David because there's a connection here. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, God promises King David that there's going to be a seed, a descendant from his body and really descendants. He basically says this, your throne, your kingdom will always be established forever. And there's always going to be somebody from your lineage on the throne of Israel. And so I'll I'll read that real quick in context. It says this. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I'll chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, and your throne shall be established forever. So as we pick up on this prophecy, there's both a human element and a divine element. There's always going to be kings from David's lineage, like really there are. So when he says, if they disobey me, I'll chasten them, he's talking about Solomon, he's talking about Ahaz, he's talking about all these other kings. And yet he promises there's always going to be somebody on the throne forever. So obviously the first person he has in mind is Solomon. That's right. So when he says he'll build a house for me, we know Solomon built That's a temple. Correct. So it's it's he's talking about the, the actual human lineage, mm-hmm. you know, non-Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when he says in your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you, your throne shall be established forever. That's the secret because there reached a point at the end of the Babylonian captivity, when the last leader of Israel went into captivity, there were no more kings. That's right. Like there hasn't been a king of Israel since whichever who the last one was. It was Sheotiel or or one of them. He was look it up in Chronicles. Jeconiah, maybe been Jeconiah, and his brothers were taken. I think that was it. Yeah. And so, um, so there, therein lies the prophecy. Is that because you could say, all right. Over two thousand years later, well, there hasn't been a kingdom of Israel. There hasn't been a king of Israel on the throne. Mm-hmm. Is God wrong? And I think that's where it was transitioning to say, no, from your seed will come a king, mm-hmm. but he won't be an earthly king. That's right. He's going to be my son, who'll be a heavenly, heavenly. king, yeah. spiritual king. And that's where they couldn't. David couldn't have, unless the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. He couldn't have seen that back mm-hmm. then. But us, with our eyes, with hindsight, we can, in Revelation, we can look back and see, ah, yeah, 
So there's the prophecy. So you've got just imagine all of these years of these sinful kings from the line of David over and over and over, constantly getting punished. Eventually, they're exiled. There is no king. And all of a sudden, we have this promise, this this assertion from Matthew, that king has come and his throne will be established forever. And what we know is that his throne is established forever not meaning Jesus is going to keep having kids, and now it's through his descendants. What we mean is that Jesus is God. He's the resurrected Lord in the flesh, and he will rule and reign him personally forever. Now, is this a good place to talk about the tribe of Judah? Absolutely. Okay, so there were 12 tribes of Israel. So there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Mm -hmm. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and then Israel had 12 kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the kids was Judah, mm-hmm. and Judah was the the tribe that was the tribe of the royal line. Mm-hmm. And so, when David became king, he was of the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. Okay, he fulfilled prophecy from Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. So David becomes the first king of the tribe, and from that point on, every king of of Israel was then eventually became Judah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the tribes, every king that ruled in Jerusalem, right, was from David's line, mm-hmm. and so um, that's that's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, we, we, you know, we want to get ahead of ourselves here, but eventually, as you read through that, I, I actually read. It's kind of funny this worked out good because I read through the New Testament mm-hmm. consistently. So I just finished Revelation, so I started Matthew one. And then here we're talking about it. So I just read that genealogy, yeah. which is so fascinating. But the point is, Joseph, who who was married to Mary, was of the royal line. That's right. And so we can trace this line back all the way, all the way to David and then all the way to Abraham, which is what that genealogy and, actually does. And so there's your prophecy fulfillment, mm-hmm. is that David, even though there were no more nat- national, natural kings after the Babylonian captivity, the line kept going. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of interesting that if you read the first names, if you read 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, you'll recognize a bunch of those names. Mm -hmm. But once it gets to Jeconiah or Zerubbabel, maybe he was the last one, once it gets to to them, yeah, I think it's Shealtiel and then Zerubbabel. Mm -hmm. You read about Zerubbabel, I think, in Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, one of them there. But once it, you don't recognize those names. Yeah. But if you just keep reading, you finally get to one name you do recognize, and it's Joseph. Yep. And so Joseph was of the natural natural line of David. Mm-hmm. And who was Jesus? Who was he born into? Now, mm-hmm. he wasn't born, obviously, Joseph didn't yeah, sire Yeah, natural process. natural process. But the point that's made is he comes through the tribe of Judah. That's right. Because Joseph would have been in the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is born into the tribe of Judah mm-hmm. in the royal line. And there's so much behind this, too, that there has been so much prophecy that there was going to be a Messiah, an anointed one, so that gives you an idea of a king, who's the branch of Jesse, right? Jesse is David's father. He comes from David's line. and he's The root going to be and the, the offspring one. of David. Exactly. The Bible says. And he's going to be the one who defeats the enemies, who brings peace and rest to the nations, who restores righteousness to Israel, 
There's all of these undertones that, you know, if David's the greatest king and he's the one who brought peace and rest from enemies, he brought the ark into Jerusalem, he ruled and reigned in prosperity, well, his, his you know, son, his descendant is essentially going to come do the same thing, bring peace and rest from enemies, bring God's presence back. You know, there's the, you know, all of these amazing things. And so that's kind of the hope and expectation is Israel has been in all the shame and exile and defeat. And this king, this Messiah is going to bring them out. This is a bold assertion by Matthew that this king has come, especially in light of Jesus's life, that he did not lead a revolution. He was executed on a cross. So we get all this from the first verse of Matthew. Isn't that kind of crazy? Kind of crazy. Okay. But know this, you know, know, know that this is the assertion Matthew's making. But let's go ahead and move on. So we've dealt with um with the prophecy given to Abraham. We've dealt with the prophecy given to Samuel about David, but now we have a prophecy from Isaiah that's fulfilled in Matthew. So when we look at Matthew chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-three, it says this. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So the context of Matthew is God showed up to Mary and is like, hey, Actually, you know, Joseph. well, Joseph, excuse me. Yeah. You know, you're, there's going to be a, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus, which means, you know, savior, yeah. um, you know, Mary's not lying to you. The Holy Spirit has actually conceived Jesus in her. Don't divorce her. Everything is going to be all right, and here's what you need to name And your, your virgin bride slash wife, because mm-hmm. they were— They were betrothed. Betrothed, which is something we don't do, but they weren't together in intimacy. They mm-hmm. weren't living together, but by law and, and cultural understanding, they were—I always like to say it this way. They were as good as married. That's right. They were They were— Married without without being married, they yes. were as good as married. Yeah, it just they had to have the wedding, and so she is a virgin, and that's mm-hmm. the key: is that he's marrying this woman who's a virgin, and suddenly she's pregnant. Yeah, so he's doubting, and he loves her, and he doesn't want to embarrass because she could be under the law; she could be stoned mm-hmm. to death. And he's a righteous man. He's trying to protect her. He's trying to divorce her secretly. He's like, look, I just want to help her out. And the angel has to be like, Joseph, you can't do this. God's involved. And to and 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 so he says this, and then after he gets these words, um, and I think the key is Matthew records what the angel Gabriel says to Joseph, mm-hmm. but then to reinforce it. And like you said, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. He then reaches back to an Old Testament Jewish prophet named Isaiah. And I'm trying to think, was that 400 years or seven, maybe 700 years? I'm not good with that. It had the to be more than 400. It had to be seven, 800 yeah. years before um, the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I can go back and look at it real quick. And th- this, I mean, we're talking not seven years, we're mm-hmm. talking hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Before. There's this prophecy that's given, mm-hmm. and I think this is an interesting one. So let's let's dig into this one um, because there's some wordplay in this one. Yeah, 
for sure. So do you want to start with the context of Isaiah first and then how Matthew yeah, reinterprets let's, it? Let's talk about the, the context and then talk about the wordplay and then the interpretation. Let's go for it. So um, if we look at Isaiah's actual context, what's going on is Isaiah is prophesying to Israel, and Israel is a nation steeped in sin, steeped in idolatry. And so he's trying to come to them before judgment comes, and he's basically crying out, repent, turn, turn away, don't do this. There's still time. Repent from your sin, and Israel's not going to do it. But in the actual context of Isaiah 7.14, where this happens, um, the northern kingdom, called Israel, and then the nation of Syria have conspired to attack the southern kingdom, the nation of Judah, where David's line rules and reigns in Jerusalem. King Asa. If I remember, was it Asa? King Ahaz is of Judah at this point. Oh, Ahaz is, yes. okay. And so they've conspired to come down for political reasons. They want to overthrow him and put a new king on the throne. So listen to that. They want to remove David's promised line from the throne, put a new king on there. And so God shows up to King Ahaz and says, look, they're coming for you, but I've got you. My promise still stands. They won't even get to you. They won't even make it to you. Now, King Ahaz is a sinful king. He's he's an an idolater. He doesn't really trust God. He fakes piety. He's like, oh, Lord, don't let me test you. I mean, mean, he's just faking all this stuff. Yeah, because there were a lot of good kings. Yes, he was not one. The kings of Israel after the split, Mm -hmm. most of them, matter of fact, just about all of them are bad. I think they're all bad. But the kings of Judah, the southern Have kingdom, some good and there were some, some good kings, a lot of good kings, mm-hmm. more good kings than bad. He's but one of the he, bad ones. He's one of the bad. So he's basically saying, you know, I'm going to protect you. Ahaz is faking piety. He doesn't really believe it. And God says, you know what? I'll give you a sign anyways. There's going to be a virgin. She's going to have a son. And what's the son's name? Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what God is promising to King Ahaz and really to the throne of David, the line of David, the people of Judah is this, though you are sinners, though you're in sin, though you've rejected me, and King Ahaz, you don't even believe me, I am still with you, and here's a sign, this boy is coming. And the promise that we just read from 2 Chronicles, there shall be... Someone on your throne forever and and ever and ever. ever. This is the moment where God says, Assyria and and Israel and this army that's bigger than you cannot win. Because if they do, Mm -hmm. and they take you off the throne and put somebody else, then my word is void. That's not happening. But I'm with you. And that's the thing is, I'm with you, Emmanuel. I'm with you. Even if you don't deserve it. Even in your sin. I'm coming there to be with you in your sin to help you. That's a good word. Is that right not a there? type or representation of Jesus Christ? <laughs> that and and scholars believe that in the kind of immediate context, it's possible they were referring to Hezekiah, the good king, and then reinterpreted prophetically, this applies to Jesus, our way better king Hezekiah, than Hezekiah. Yeah, Hezekiah was Ahaz's son, son. And so he would be the one that would be born to him. That's right. Who would, and who is a righteous king, he trusted was, in God. He was very righteous, very much trusted in God. So the thing that we have to tell our listeners is that prophecy can have dual That's right. meaning. It can mean something for the present, but it also can have a future meaning, mm-hmm. and both of them apply. That's right. And this is one of those particular times. And so when he said the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, he was talking, I guess, about Ahaz's wife. 
or a, or a royal woman of the court. It's it, we don't know. We who don't the mother know. Is. But to keep in line, and but then, he would know. And then, Kyle, or excuse me, Ahaz would know. No, for the son. and then he shall call his name, uh, or his Emmanuel. name shall be called Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing: that actually happened. Mm-hmm. So God predicted it. It happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, even though we don't have it in a biblical record, we know God doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. So there was a woman who gave birth to a son. And they named that son Emmanuel, God yep. with us. Now, that's what happened in that context. But we also know that from Matthew, that this verse, Matthew takes it and applies it to Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So you want me to go down that word? Can it. I go down Let's that go word? For it. So in the Hebrew, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek with a little Aramaic. Mm-hmm. So the Old Testament's in Hebrew, the New Testament's in Greek. The Old Testament word here for virgin is Alma, mm-hmm. A-L-M-A-H. And it can mean either a virgin or a young married woman. Mm-hmm. It has a dual meaning. So obviously, in that context, because some people say, well, does that mean there was a virgin back then that also got mm-hmm. pregnant by God and gave birth to a... a no, no. Mm-hmm. In, in this case, Alma would have meant a young married woman or a young woman of marital, marital age. So there was a woman who was married, who was young, who gave birth to a child mm-hmm. through the natural course of procreation, and then when that baby was born, they called it Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Okay, so did you understand that? So that we don't misunderstand. Mm-hmm. However, that that whole scene was a, a type, a symbol, a representation of what was to come. So that 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 there is a prophetic word there that there will be a virgin mm-hmm. who is a true virgin. Mary, Mary had not known a man, and she would conceive and give birth to a son, and his name would be Emmanuel, which is when God, Jesus came to this earth, boy, did God get with us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's truly yeah. God came down and was with us yeah. and walked with us. That's pretty powerful. That's some good news right there. I mean, I think when we... Let's combine the Old Testament and the New Testament context. Israel is in sin, and God promises, my word will stand. I'll be with with your king. I'll be with your nation, and I'll protect you. Fast forward to Jesus. Now we see not physical enemies coming to attack us, not Syria and Israel coming to attack God's people, but we're plagued by sin, Satan, and death. We're sinners going after sin, and God says, my promise is still with you. I am Emmanuel, God with you, and this time I'm coming in the flesh. I'm defeating your enemies, not in a battle, but up on a cross, and I will be faithful to my word. I'll be on my throne forever from the line of David, and I'm going to save and deliver my people eternally. That in the midst of your sin and rebellion, God's faithfulness, promise, and presence still stands. That's some good news for Christmas this year. That's, that's a really, awesome. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's right. And I think that's just, you said it. I think you summed it up is when we think about that baby in, in, the, in the manger, that baby in the manger grew up to be a man mm-hmm. who eventually became the lamb mm. who died on the cross for us to do those very things. He defeated Satan. Uh, Colossians 2 said he made a public spectacle of them through the cross. Mm -hmm. He defeated sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteous of God in him. And then he defeated death. 
He came mm-hmm. out and said, you know, in Revelation, he said, I'm the one that was dead and lives, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Mm. So he is the conquering king. That's right. He is the king. He's king over sin. He's king over your sins, and that's the gospel, isn't it? That is. That That's why we preach like we do, is that, is that what was predicted not only came to pass 2,000 years ago in Christ, but it could come to pass for you today. Mm, the promise still stands. Yeah, where yeah. he can come into your heart and life, that's right. and where sin sits on the throne of your heart, and, and you're under the plague of death, the soul who sins shall surely die, and if you die, you're, you're going to go to hell mm-hmm. for eternity. You're going to be sin. Death is separation. You, when you die, you're separated from your loved ones, but when you die, you're also eternally separated from God. Mm-hmm. And yet, and the devil is our slave master, but yet Jesus comes as the conquering king, and he says, even though you're a sinner, I'm going to love you and save you, and I'm going to draw near to you and do a saving work in your life, and then I'm going to keep you close to me. And that's mm-hmm. where he said, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Mm. And I will dwell with them and walk among them, says the Lord. That's Emmanuel, God That's with us. That's so good. God's yeah. still with us today in our hearts, living in us through his Holy Spirit. Yeah, Paul said in Ephesians 2 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's and, right. And he's with me. I don't I don't just see Jesus on Sunday morning and leave him, but he's with me 24 hours a day. So he is truly Emmanuel. That's right. God with me. That's That's so good. Good stuff here, Ev. Well, let's move on to the next one. Tell me if you think this applies. I just wanted to throw it out there. I feel like it applies, but maybe not. We'll see. Okay. Let's move on to the story of the wise men. Now, the wise men, they follow a star to Jesus. They see a star. They're kind of like astronomer, magi kind of kind of guys. Astrologers. The astrologers. And, um, and did I say astronomers? <laughs> Which one is it? I have no, no idea. No, it's astronomers. Okay. You had it right the first okay. time. Okay. And, yeah. and so th- it makes sense to them. They see a star. Tell me if you think this applies. I think it can. But now, it was a supernatural star. Supernatural star. So it wasn't a natural star. God sent this. Okay. So let's look at Numbers twenty four seventeen. It says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Am I stretching it? Is it a stretch? I got this from my cross-references. Uh, in my Bible. So Balaam's basically prophesied about Israel and about the defeat of Israel's enemies, the Moabite. He promises a star that's going to come out of Jacob, and he's got a scepter. He's a king, and he's going to defeat all of our enemies. Is it possible? Is it possible that this is a connection? <laughs> it might be more in a way, it may be, it may be less you're asking. I'm just. I'm sitting here thinking, and and it's not like you and I sat down. We don't always sit down for these and have everything mapped out. Yeah. So this is like really genuine banter that y'all hear between us. So a lot of times he throws me curveballs. <laughs> I like surprising you. you. Do. I don't want you to be able to plan so don't, for it. Don't ever think this is like rigged or pre-planned. <laughs> he actually throws me curveball. How, how, how many two years, three years we've been doing this now? Um, I, I, it may be less directly connected with the star of Bethlehem, yep. and it may be more of a connected of Jesus Christ as, as the as as I think you get. I did see you putting like is the light of the world. That's right. Yeah, and and that may be, but I, you know, obviously, it's the incarnation, so it mm-hmm. still has to do with Christmas because he says, "I see him, but not now." So that mm-hmm. means he's coming. He's not near. But he's coming. So that's that's talking about he's coming. So that's obviously the Christmas story. 
Regardless, I think it has to do with Jesus about the scepter, about the one who's defeating. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it. I think it has to do with Jesus. Absolutely. It, it, but I think when it says the star, it's it's literally this, talking about Christ. I think it's coming about talking yeah. about Jesus more than the mm-hmm. star of Bethlehem. That's good. But it is talking about his birth and coming, mm-hmm. and so I think that's powerful. And of course, um, we know that he is the light of the world. And um, and and I'm just looking through your notes that he put. And let me just stay on that light thing for a little bit. Um, uh, if I remember right, Malachi says that the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, mm. which most scholars think is a, is a is a reference to Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So so the the son they talk about the S U N son, but but we capitalize it mm-hmm. of righteousness shall rise. So mm. it's the sun coming up and shining light. Yeah. On a dark world. Yeah. What does the sun do? The world is dark at night, but as the sun rises, the the darkness is dispelled and the light shines. And the rays of sun, you've ever seen the rays coming down through Mm -hmm. the clouds? They can look like wings. You can just see these multiple rays. And the sun of Christ shall rise with healing in his rays, Mm. in his wings. That's the concept. And so I think that's a beautiful picture of Jesus coming upon a dark world dark in sin. But when Jesus was born, that star of Bethlehem brought those magi to the star of Jacob. Yeah, that's right. That's pretty good. Isn't that is, that's real good. And, 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 and then the star of Jacob was born to shine the light. And that's why John, so we'll go away from your synopsis. John said, in him was life and the life was the light of men mm-hmm. and the light shined in the darkness mm. and the darkness did not comprehend it. But that's what Jesus came. He said, I am the light of the world. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it is a reference to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're right, too, about the scepter. That's definitely. I mean, that's kingdom language. That's king be. language right there. I yeah. mean, because if Jesus is the star, then you just connect the dots. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, a scepter is is what? It's it's what a king holds. It's a, uh, what am I trying to say? Like a staff, like a rod, like a. It's a royal. Royal. Ornament, a representation of his authority. Authority, that's right, yeah. And so, you know, when he says a scepter Mm -hmm. shall rise out of Israel, then that's got to mean that that a king. Mm -hmm. And and I love the connection, too. You know, Balaam is is evil. He's a false prophet, and yet he can't help prophesy what God wants him to. And I think it's interesting that, uh, I don't want to go too far with it, but the Magi probably weren't necessarily the most righteous men, and yet they're declaring— but go further in the story, you know, the um, the 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 evil uh, high priest and all those, they're saying, you know, are, are you the son of David? Are you the son of God? Are you the king? And Jesus says, you say that I am. Yeah. And then when Christ is killed on the cross, the, centur- the centurion says, surely he was the son of God. And in this way, the light of the world has shined on the darkness. And even those who reject Christ can't help but declare who he is. He is the star, the scepter. Mess with your head. All right. So when Jesus dies on the cross, the star of Jacob, the son of righteousness, when he died on the cross, when he breathed his last, it was around three Mm o'clock. He hung on the cross from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon. From noon till three, the Bible says that darkness came upon the face of the earth like like, like night. Mm -hmm. I I mean, they had to light torches. A lot of times they don't show this. In movies, but dark it it got dark. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm assuming they had to light torches. 
So now the thieves are hanging on the cross in the dark, okay? And when Jesus died and said, it is finished, do you think at that moment, at three in the afternoon when he died, that the darkness dissipated mm. and the light came back? That would be crazy. And it's it was very like possible. The, the, the payment for sin has been made mm-hmm. and the light may, you, you may have thought you snuffed out the light. But but you can't kill the life, and which is the light, mm-hmm. and you can't kill him. And and you think you ki- you think you snuffed out his life, but all you did was just shine the light. Mm. That's good. That's a that's a good theory. I, I like that. I just thought about that. I like that's that. like I've never thought about that before. But that's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> that is good. Well, let's move on to Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, which we find in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So let's look at Matthew first. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they're basically saying, hey, he's born in Bethlehem. Let's look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says this, But you, Bethlehem, I can't even pronounce that word. Ephrathah. Ephrathah. Though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. That's God. That's God right there. So they're they're saying that verse says that the Messiah, Mm because that's obviously a messianic verse. That's right. That's an Old Testament prophecy looking forward to who, they don't know when. They didn't know when. Of a Messiah who's coming, and they said he will be God. From from everlasting. I included the the last few verses here. It says this, Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. I mean, that's like, that's just awesome right there, that that's whole one, thing. And, you know, we and a lot of people are familiar with this, mm-hmm. if they're familiar with Christmas, they've been to church, because obviously it, it predicts it. So let's give the context how I think it's interesting. You got you have these wise men, these magi, these astronomers, mm-hmm. who are following the supernatural star, and it leads them to Jerusalem. And they go into Jerusalem, and it's ironic. Who is it? Because they say, "Where is he? he was born, born king of the Jews?" So somehow they had a connection with that star, with the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Okay, we won't get into all that in this in this episode. But who is it that tells them? Where is he? It's Herod. Well, well, oh, no, it, it is Herod yeah. indirectly. Indirectly, but Herod has to get the oh, from him. I understand the priest. Yeah, right. So he gets the priests, and they say they quote this like passage. It, yeah. So even in, in, in the advent of Jesus in that time period, mm-hmm. they knew this verse mm-hmm. because this verse said this is the Messiah coming, and we know where he's coming from. He's coming from Bethlehem. And that's where King David was born, right? That yes, mm. that, that's his area. So yeah. There's connections, yeah, right? Because you had to already. go back to the city of goat. You went back to the city of your lineage, mm-hmm. so they went back to Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Wow, 
That's crazy right there. So what do we see? Well, one, we see that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, that he fulfills this prophecy. There's a connection to being the, you know, the son of David, uh, you know, being in that, that lineage and everything like that. But then let's talk about this. His going forths, forth are from old, from everlasting, which literally means like days of eternity. So Micah's prophesying this human king, this human ruler born of a woman in Bethlehem, and yet at the same time, his days are from old, from days of eternity. How in the world can a man, can a human being draw his days, draw his lineage from the days of eternity? It's none other than the God-man, the God from eternity who becomes a man in time, born of a virgin. And Bethlehem was a little town. Yeah. It was not that, you know, oh, little town of Bethlehem. You know, <laughs> we sing that. It's because it was. Yeah. It was not a big town. Mm-hmm. And yet, I mean, they only had one inn. There was mm-hmm. only one Motel 6. I mean, they didn't have a Holiday Inn Express. They didn't have a Ham- Hampton Inn. They just had the hotel Motel 6. Yeah. So it was a small town. And yet, what are the odds? Yeah. What are the odds that in Bethlehem, this prophecy would be fulfilled, and yet it was fulfilled mm-hmm. through one person. And I just think it's interesting, too. We talked about Jesus being the light of the world, but, you know, he's also the bread of life. Yeah, he is. And and isn't it amazing that the guy who's the one, the God-man who's the bread of life, was born in the house of bread? That's crazy. And, and it's it's interesting, as we kept reading, you know, he was going to feed his sheep yeah. and shepherd them. That he come, you know, David was a shepherd, and he is going to shepherd them. That comes from the house of bread. He's going to feed his sheep. And, I mean, and Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd." That's right. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's right. They all all the dots connect. Yeah, it all connects. It's interesting that they say that the remnant of Israel will return. The king will feed the flock in the strength of the majesty of the name of the Lord. That um, you know, oftentimes in the history of Israel, when Israel goes to sin, God has preserved a remnant, that there are still folks who are serving God when it seems like the whole nation has turned. And as we see both in the Gospels and even in the history of the early church, though many Jewish people turn their backs on God, cry for him to be crucified, the high priests and many of the leaders have turned away from God, we do see a large portion of, of Jewish people turning to Christ, believing in the Messiah. We see 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost who are there for the Feast of Pentecost. Um, It's interesting that there is a remnant who have come for Christ. Jesus even says, I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. And so we see that fulfilled, that there are many Jewish people, a remnant, coming back to him to be saved by Christ. That's it. That's good. Um, So let's move on um, to... A fulfillment of Hosea again, or excuse me, Hosea for the first time, 11, chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 15 says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. And so Hosea 11, one literally says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt, I called my son. So how in the world is this 
One verse. I mean, this one verse from Hosea and the life of Jesus as a little baby, how are they connected? And can we make some deeper connections about the life of Israel and the life of Jesus? Well, it would be easy if you want to just be a cynical, skeptical person to say, oh, come on, man. So you take this one verse, which obviously is talking about the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So that's Moses bringing the children of Israel Israel out of Egypt. That's what that refers to. Oh, come on, man. Now you're going to turn around and say that just because Jesus— Joseph had to flee to Egypt for a while, and then he came back, that that verse applies to him. It'd be real easy just to be cynical Mm -hmm. and say, that's a stretch. But you have to remember that Matthew didn't didn't write that down just because Matthew was some sharp guy who, you know, just was looking for all the angles. Uh, Yeah. He wrote what he wrote because he was moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was very familiar with the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And it just would have been real easy to just say, oh, no, that that passage, that one little verse in in, uh, in um, Hosea is descriptive. Out mm-hmm. of Egypt, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called Israel. It's descriptive, but it's not. It's prescriptive. Mm. It's not only describing what happened, it's prescribing what is going to happen and what and what is going what should happen, mm-hmm. and that is that Jesus would— would come out of Egypt. His mm-hmm. son, the son of God, would come out of Egypt. And again, I think there's that dual meaning. Yes. And yeah. the fact that we, any of us could have just naturally missed it, but the Holy Spirit said to Matthew, take that verse and point this out mm-hmm. because it is applicable. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the nation of Israel, but it is out of Egypt that I will call my son so that it validates that, that he is the son of God. And I think there's a deeper theological meaning that as we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, there is a sense in which Jesus embodies Israel. Yes. And so what I mean is like, you know, he's called out of Egypt to make that connection. He Literally, represents Israel. He represents Israel. Remember, Herod slaughters everyone to and under. Well, think back to Pharaoh. He's doing the same thing in the time of Moses, killing all of the young male babies. And so Jesus is embodying this Israel, but what happens to Israel? They go through the waters. They're delivered from Egypt. They're led into the wilderness and eventually in the promised land. Egypt or Israel is delivered from their enemies. And so Christ lives his life in a sense embodying Israel. Think about his baptism. You know, he's baptized and in a sense he goes through the waters of Egypt before he goes to his ministry. He's out in the wilderness. And so he's having to trust in God while he's out in the wilderness for 40 days. Instead of 40 years, exactly, it was 40 days. 40 days, and he's, he's battling Satan in the wilderness. Well, we know, you know, Christ is perfect. Well, the Israelites failed in the middle of and the wilderness. And had to fight some battles. And had to fight some battles. Yeah. That's right. And so then Christ is going on living his life and ascends as Israel. And then what does he do on the cross? He represents Israel in the sense that, they deserve to be punished for their sins. You know, God's people deserve God's wrath for their sin. And he takes that upon himself and then delivers it. And so Christ, at the same time, is both the deliverer and yet represents, in a sense, the ones who need to be delivered. He is yeah. God, the Savior, and he is man, the race, the creatures, the people that need that freedom. It's it's kind of mind-boggling. Yeah, that's pretty sense. awesome. You're it's right. It's fantastic. That's pretty powerful. 
So we see that from Jesus, and, and so he is modeling what he has come to do for us, to deliver us from Egypt, deliver us from bondage. So any other word on Matthew? Did I miss anything? I, I added a little question down here. I don't know if you want to try and answer it, but uh, or do you want to move on to Luke? No, I, 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 I see what you wrote, the prophecy yeah. of Jesus being a Nazarene. I think- I, on our notes, I literally wrote the prophecy of Jesus being a Nazarene, question mark, because in Matthew— Matthew actually says he fulfilled he moved to Nazareth to fulfill what the prophet spoke about being born of a Nazarene. And then in your Bible, there's no actual like cross reference or citation or wh- how does Jesus fulfill that? What is Matthew talking about here without a direct verse reference? Well, there's if I remember right again, you're catching me off guard. If I remember right, there's Sorry. there's kind of a uh, there's a couple places where you have to kind of search it and mm-hmm. look it to see then. And read it about it is more almost like being a Nazarite, mm-hmm. but somehow again these men did not just pick this stuff mm-hmm. out, cherry pick. I mean they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it's again just like he came out of Egypt, he went into Nazareth, mm-hmm. which which then means he was a, a G- Jesus of Nazareth or a Nazarene, mm-hmm. and so somehow the Holy Spirit said, "Look, there's a verse in the Bible. I pr- I, I prophesied this." Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think there's a connection there, and this is where we have to have the faith that says we trust God, mm-hmm. that, that this, this, is, this is God validating the predictions and prophecies of his son. It could be possible because, you know, he says the prophets, that Matthew is synthesizing a number of verses and interpret common interpretations of his time, that maybe the word on the street was he's going to be born in Nazareth, and... Though there's not like chapter and verse number, there's almost like this synthesis going on, which does happen in yeah. other places in the That's Bible. Right. Yeah, and then you have uh, you have to remember you have the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version That's of correct. the Bible, which often read differently than the mm-hmm. Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible that he was making a reference to something in the Septuagint, mm-hmm. he, uh, Old Testament Bible that they had mm-hmm. the Greek version that read a little different and actually made reference to Nazarite Nazarene. Yeah. That's good. Well, let's move on to Luke, which is where we're going to end. We don't have too much in Luke, but we do have some good things here. So let's talk about, um, in Luke, the story of Zechariah's song, um, prophesying. So so who's Zechariah? So Zechariah is John the Baptist's father, who is a priest who ministers in the, the, I guess it's not really the temple, is it? Is it the local... Yeah, he was in the, the temple. temple. Yeah, Zacharias um, was a priest. And then we'll also connect what Zechariah says to Simeon because they both have language like we've already talked about, um, about light. And so I, I really kind of wanted to just slap those two together and see what we get. Okay. <laughs> um, so Luke chapter 1, verses 78 through 79, this is uh, towards the end of Zechariah's psalm, says, Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then the song of Simeon, Luke chapter 2, 29 through 32 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And so it seems that Zechariah and, um, and Simeon are fulfilling some common language. Uh, do what? Zechariah. Zechariah, sorry. Sorry. Are fulfilling some uh, common language used in Isaiah. So like Isaiah 9-2 yes. says, 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And Isaiah 60, verses 2 through 3 says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So what connection do we have from Isaiah talking about light to Zechariah and Simeon, not necessarily directly quoting Isaiah, but using this glory and this light language. Is there a connection there? Uh, Oh, absolutely. I mean, Zacharias was, uh, he he had, you know, he didn't believe the angel. So Mm -hmm. the angel said, you're going to be mute mute for the, the entirety of the gestation period for nine months. And he couldn't talk. Yeah. And when John the Baptist was born and they, and it was time to name him, uh, then his speech was restored to him. And boy, the first thing he did is, does is just sing and give praise to God. Mm-hmm. And it's prophetic. Zacharias was full of the Holy Spirit as well as his wife, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And so Zacharias, under the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, gives this prophetic word, uh, this, this prophetic song called the Benedictus. And um, the, it's interesting, Evan, the word dayspring um, it was actually, it means dawn. Mm. And so it was a reference to the Messiah. Yeah. So anybody that would have heard that, any Jewish person would have heard that, would have automatically said the Messiah. So he is predicting the, the coming of them, because this is at the birth of the forerunner of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But isn't it interesting that while he's talking about the forerunner, his son, he also has to stop and make men- mention of the day spring, the mm-hmm. Messiah that will come, that will shine the light upon us. That's right. The other person, the other verse that you read was from a guy named Simeon who was in the temple. He's an old guy who was, um, the Holy Spirit came on him. And when he held, he was one of those people that held Jesus when they came to, uh, to uh, I guess, a circumcise, or circumcise him or, and offer the, 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 the dove, sacrifices. Yeah. Um, he knew through the Holy Spirit that this little baby he was holding was the Messiah, the Son of God. God promised him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Yeah. And once he held him, that's when God said, this is he. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that both of them see him as a light. And it was a very dark period spiritually in Israel. Mm-hmm. Even though you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple and you had the synagogues and and there was a lot of legalism and religion, mm-hmm. there was no light. People... People didn't have a relationship with God, and the religion was weighty and heavy and stifling, and it didn't put you to God. It just probably in a lot of ways drove you further from God. It was honestly kind of like Israel was when Isaiah was prophesying this. They're offering sacrifices, and God's going, I don't want your sacrifice. I want your heart. I want your obedience. Yeah, their heart's not in it, and they're not living right. Yep. And so that's when it said, men walking in darkness have seen a great light. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think the reference is, you know, because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he he came to shine the light in the darkness, mm-hmm. and to, and and a lot of times light goes with the word. Mm-hmm. You know, John saw him. If you read John chapter one, um, John refers to him in three ways: as the as the word, as the light, and as the lamb. Mm-hmm. And he came in all three of those capacities. And the word and the light work together because if if you don't know something, but I give you a word that gives you revelation, and you go, ah, oh, now I get it. I didn't know before. I was in the dark. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, did you not know we were doing this? No, I, they've kept me in the dark. Yeah, yeah. We use that phrase. Well, man has been kept in the dark. But when Jesus comes and speaks the truth, 
then there's revelation, and it's like there is light. Mm-hmm. And so he is the light. And the your rev- word is a light into my path. Right. You know? <laughs> and so his revelation becomes light, exposure. Mm-hmm. It becomes, ah, I see, which then leads you to the lamb, mm-hmm. that I, I need more than religion. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's right. I need him as my lamb, and, and I need him to see, he gave his life for me. I need a sacrifice to make me right with God. That's right. So those are powerful, powerful prophecies that in some ways, you know, one is before his birth, one is after his birth. Mm-hmm. But either way, they're both referring to Jesus in his messianic uh, saving work. And it seems like Simeon has that Isaiah 60 verse 9 passage in mind because he says that he's a light to the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel, which is very much what Isaiah says in chapter 9. And it's interesting that Luke records this because, you know, Luke is writing to uh, to a more broad audience. He's, he's writing not just to Jews like Matthew is. He's writing for Gentiles. And so Simeon points out this Messiah is going to be a light to the Gentiles. We talk about Christ kind of embodying Israel. What did God want Israel to be when he brought him out of the wilderness? A light to the nations. And so Christ has come to be a light genuinely to the nations. And so the Messiah has come not just to save Israel, but to save the whole world, Gentiles included, yeah, which I is think, what he's doing and, there. And that might be a great way to just finish this episode is, is that in this last prophecy, these, these two prophetic words about Jesus, you've got— You've got one, you know, Simeon said, the, the day spring shall shine, the light shall shine upon us. And he's talking about himself as a mm-hmm. Jew and the Jewish people. But then you've got Simeon saying, yeah, but he's also going to come to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And he's and so I think the, the thing is, like you just said, he's a savior for everybody. Yeah. And he can save everybody. Whosoever wills, can call upon the name of the Lord shall mm-hmm. be saved. And, and isn't it just a wonderful thought here at Christmas to think that when Jesus came and he came to— he came. He's born in Bethlehem. He lived his whole ministry in in Israel, and yet he came to be the savior of the world. For God so loved the world mm-hmm. that he gave his only begotten Son, and yeah. and he loved people who were sinful, and people that were religious, and people that were not religious, and mm-hmm. people that were righteous, and people that were not righteous. And he just loved us all and gave his life for everybody. That's right. And maybe you're in a Christmas season right now, and you've got family members, you've got friends, you've got people you hold dear. Who don't believe in Christ? That the Christmas season isn't about Christ's mass, <laughs> Christ, right. Christ coming to us. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just about Santa and stuff, and materialism or whatever. And you want them to know Christ. Know this: God's word is still effective. He's still a light to the Gentiles and the glory yeah. of the people of Israel. And when you present the gospel to him, when you read the scriptures to them, when you bring them to a Christmas play or whatever. God's still working through that, and there's still hope for them to have that light bulb moment. God loves them. He died for them to and, come to him. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's right. And and so he takes his light when we get saved and puts it in us. And so it's not just sharing the gospel, but just be Jesus to mm-hmm. them. Be Jesus to them, and, and then let the light shine. And, um, boy, they might get saved. That's good. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us for this episode today. As always, give us a rating, a review, like, subscribe, share it to somebody who needs it. We hope that you enjoyed it, that this helped you a whole lot. And have a Merry Christmas, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. 